Markets with Sean Hackett. This edition of the Moving Iron Podcast is brought to you by Dawson Tire and Will, your premier ag tire and wheel provider in North America, helping people grow. Tractor Zoom delivering insights and dry shot boots, the official work boot of the Moving Iron Podcast. Well, Sean, how you been, man? It's been been about a week, and uh, I, I think we've uh, re-entered the turbulence of the markets again. You know, we had that race up, and now we've got this race down, and it's back and forth you know gain three or four cents in one day and we lose three and four cents the next day so i guess as you start looking at at what we see happening right now um heading into this you know late july august time frame where most weather models have called for very hot and very dry um going into key growing cycles for for soybeans across the united states and it, I, I guess as you take a look and see what's happening what are your thoughts on the market and, and, and how the weather's shaping up? Well, the, the market initially in late June, early July, you know, got a little excited, as you know, and we, right. we got some movement higher. And then uh, and then they convinced themselves that there's enough rainfall coming in, uh, you know, enough uh, to take that risk, according to them, off the table. And so we've been sort of, we can't, like you said, we kind of took it back, mm-hmm. and now we're just kind of in stabilization mode as the market tries to see what's the, what really is going to happen here as we move into the end of the month and into the first half of July. We're very confident about high heat continuing. Um, uh, I do think that it's a mixed bag with moisture. Some areas will get some, some will miss it. So it's kind of a, you know, it's not a clear cut picture. It's all dry. You know, we continue to worry about the hot, warm nights for corn specifically, because that's really been a huge determiner for uh, yields during pollination and, um, but, but that's where we're at. And so and then, of course, we're getting some some buying from the Chinese pretty consistently now, but the market still is not willing to buy into that because the little boy who cried wolf, you know, they've heard this story before. They buy for a couple of weeks and then they walk away and then we don't see them again for a while. So, but they are buying. Um, so if that were to continue for another, for a few more weeks, I do think the market would begin to maybe put in some, uh, Chinese buying premium, if shall we call it. So where we are is right now the market is sort of comfortable with the weather, but it's not comfortable to buy into this Chinese buying spree. And so it's we're just stuck in neutral, plus or minus four cents on the corner market, for example. You yep. know, that's kind of where we are right now. Yep. Okay, so let's let's take a look at, at the Chinese and what they've been doing. Um, they have made, really, they're, they're, for all intents and purposes, all the talking and let's be friends has pretty much broken down right it's it's kind of back to where it was january of 18 i mean it's it's kind of in that same spot they've they've asked the chinese to close their consulate in in houston they've you know they've done several things to basically just say we're not talking anymore but the chinese are still buying that's got to be a pretty clear message that they aren't getting what they need anywhere else in the world but here fair statement very fair statement We've talked on this program many times, Casey, that the Chinese, uh, for, for argument's sake, the, China, the, the, the trade one, phase one trade deal was more for show. Right. I've always felt, and we've always talked about on this program, that they will always buy what they need 
and what's economical to them. And right now, they, they need grain from us. And right now, it's extremely economical. The premiums of corn and soybean prices in uh, China's domestic market are, are near historic high premiums to U.S. price. So, so they need it, and the price is right. And so they're not doing it to help us. They're not doing it to make Trump look good. They're doing it because it's good for the Chinese. Right. And, and so long as uh, you know, they have not satiated what they need, and as long as this price disparity continues, they're going to continue to be big buyers, and that's going to pump up the demand side expectations on everyone's spreadsheets and reduce carryouts. That's what we think is going to start to happen here. And should Mother Nature get back on board with some concerns, you know, then you can get something really going. But we do think at least the Chinese bond will prop up prices, we think, in August. Yep. All right. So speaking of Mother Nature and, and kicking up some opportunity here, as you look at, you're in South Florida right now, um, and you're, you're in that, that hurricane watch time of the year for you guys. Um, all the weather models, again, have shown that this is going to be a very active hurricane season, and people are getting, um, getting prepared for that. Um, hurricane seasons that are active usually wreak havoc on, on the cotton market. So I guess as you take a look at the cotton market right now and kind of throw this into the mix, what are your thoughts on cotton? Well, already, it's not going to be a hurricane. It doesn't look like, it looks like it'll be a tropical storm, but a tropical storm is supposed to just go right into Texas um, or late weekend, early next week, and just throw tons of rain in there. And that's just, we're just getting started, Casey. So um, what happens is, as we get further along and the, all the cotton opened up, you know, opens up their bowls, um, that's when the moisture can really be nasty for reducing yield and quality. And so... Uh, it's going to be a very, very active season, and we think that cotton market, the rice market, and the orange juice market are the three markets that are really going to be in the crosshairs for ongoing and, and maybe persistent and maybe multiple weather uh, concerns as these storms come rolling in one after another that we think is going to happen this year. It, right now, there's already three or four areas of interest that are forming that, um, you know, that are so the, so the seasons, in, 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 by the way, in an active season, this really won't come down until mid-October. So we got a long two and a half months of a lot of this going on that's going to be moving, especially those three markets. The other thing to look at, Casey, is this. A lot of times when these storms, they come into the Gulf and then they curve into the deep south and then they move away. A lot of times what that does is it draws moisture away from the Midwest and causes a high to form over the Midwest. So, so hurricanes have a lot to do with, we just talk about August weather, right? What yeah. makes August weather forecasting so difficult is exactly what these tracks are. But if a track comes in and moves away, it sucks all the moisture out. You can get this dome and hot and heat and dryness come in in, in, in August. Um, and that's something we're paying attention to to see if we're going to get that kind of a storm that rolls in that deprives the Midwest of a lot of the moisture that the models are saying might come in. So it's going to be a pretty volatile 30 days, but we don't think the weather's going to be perfect. We think there's going to be some weather premium that's going to be put back into the markets now that the season is just, it's really started. I mean, we're starting to see the storms form now. We're just starting to get going now. So. Okay. So with that being said, a hurricane season comes along and you start looking at stuff. There's going to be some opportunities also with the U.S. dollar where it's at kind of hovering in that, that low 90s, you know, mid-90s range. Um, export report comes out today and, and what we see happening there. And there's some 
lofty goals compared to what we saw last year. I think a lot of that is triggered by what they think that the Chinese are going to end up doing. But, you know, last year, this time, corn, they were looking between 400,000 and a million metric tons. And today they're looking somewhere between one and a half to three million metric tons. So um, same with same with soybeans. They're about three times as much soybeans, you know, one million to two million metric tons versus 300,000, 700,000 this time last year. So it, it feels like the USDA maybe has something up their sleeve there and they're, and they're anticipating some some buying that, that they're maybe not coming out yet. But I guess what are your thoughts on on just that, the export stuff? Not just necessarily the China side of it either, but let's look at what we see around the other parts of the, of the world as well, especially when you start looking at areas that have been tormented by this uh, desert locust. I mean, their, their things are just tearing stuff up. So talk about what you think is going to happen today with the uh, export report. Well, I mean, when we look at global corn supplies, Casey, you know, uh, we don't see a lot of corn. I mean, obviously the Chinese have a, have a corn shortage right now. That's why they're buying so much. Um, we know that there's really not a lot of corn anywhere. Um, you know, we have some corn here to sell, of course, but... Um, you know, when we look around, the only place that really has a lot of corn to sell is the United States. And it's cheap, as you said. The dollar's been really kind of collapsing here lately. The last couple of weeks, I think it's down 5%. Uh, the lowest we've seen it in quite some time. Silver and gold have been surging here. In fact, silver has been gaining on gold. I mentioned in my report earlier in the week that we watched the gold-to-silver ratio, that in times of deflation, gold gains on silver, and in times of inflation, silver gains on gold. And so these... Uh, that relationship tends to move in 10 to 15 year cycles. So the deflationary cycle began in 2011. That's when gold began to gain on silver. And that ratio has been rising ever since. And it actually had a spike peak in March when we had that coronavirus scare. Uh, we actually broke out to an all time high briefly in the month of March. And now the, the gold silver ratio has been crashing as silver has been gaining dramatically. Silver prices have doubled, by the way, just the last you know, 45 days. And so that tells me that we have just turned the corner and begun uh, an extended inflationary period now after a long period of deflation. And so the weaker dollar is part of that. And exports improving in the U.S. is part of the inflationary cycle. It's part of the weak dollar cycle. And it's really important to have that tailwind behind us because it really helps with price and to move the product that we have right now to move. So I do think the USDA is starting to pick up on this concept that demand for U.S. grain and U.S. ag in general is improving, and they're starting to up their ante on their estimates accordingly, and we think they're correct in doing so. So it, it's, I think it's finally turning into a bright spot uh, after a long period of, of a headwind. We're going to start getting a tailwind from, from exports and currency, finally. so. Yeah, it seems like it's shaping up that way. There's a lot more people coming to the table to buy U.S. products than we've seen in a while. Um, Copper, for example, is all, almost three dollars a pound. It was that was you know that's up, up almost forty uh, percent in just the last few months. And, and usually now now what's been happening is the copper been gaining on gold. So when copper gains on gold, that means the market is also assuming more inflation, but also assuming an increase in infrastructure spending in, in, in that part of the economy. So that usually is an early sign of better. You know, the, the precious metals and the metals in general tend to go first. And then the ag markets kind of follow behind it. So we're really encouraged that some of these markets that tend to be the first movers are really taking off um, the cycle. And so it's early, 
Doesn't mean the greens have to move today or tomorrow, but it's a good early sign that we're starting to finally shift this asset class and start going to attract, it might be attracting some money away from stocks and away from real estate and, you know, for, for the first time in quite a while. Because as you know, commodities have been the poster child for where you should not put your money uh, for, for a long time. So, yep. All right, let's talk about oil for a little while. Um, we've, we had that amazing drop off there where oil was was uh, they're paying you to take it and then it's kind of bounced back nicely but there's been some pretty good volatility in the oil market here of late talk about the oil market what you see happening there and it kind of feels like you know russia and saudi arabia have or opec anyway have decided that they're going to let bygones be bygones and kind of work together as much as they possibly can to make the oil market um bounce back but it's not bouncing back it kind of hit that point and it's not really you've hit some really big volatile points in the middle. So I guess talk about what you see happening in oil. Well, we talked about that, you know, that, that you could only keep oil, you know, as low as it was for, for only, we talked about maybe, you know, the fall, maybe the maximum they could help keep more prices down because economically no one can survive with $20 or $10 or $0 right. oil, you know? Right. Yeah. Um, so, so, you know, I mean, obviously uh, the Russians economies and tatters, um, you know that they their main their main economic drivers crude oil, and so you know, they have a vested interest in making making the price go higher. So that that game is on, but we've got we have gotten to a point where that initial surge off the lows has taken place, and the market is trying to determine what is the new normal demand for crude oil. Meaning, all right, you know, the U.S. is sort of reopened, and Europe is sort of reopened, and China is sort of reopened. Yet we're having some secondary infections and partial closures, but not all. The, the market's just trying to figure out what is actually going to be a run rate now, um, given what we see in the virus right now. And so I think that's prevented the oil market from going much higher. But I, but I also believe that, as you said, Russia and Saudi Arabia have gotten together and say, look, let's, let's, let's be friends and let's prevent it from, from going down. But I think it's found a happy home right now until we get a little further along to see, you know, what's going to happen here. There's a lot of fear right now that as we get back into the flu season here in the fall, the winter, you know, that, that things could get, you know, worse. And so whether that's true or not, I, I just think that fear right now is holding the crude oil market back for a little while. Um, and so I expect a sideways choppy trade until that can kind of get resolved here a little bit. Yeah. So in the U S you can't have that conversation of oil without throwing ethanol into the mix. So, um, ethanol demand has come up more and more, uh, plants have come back online. Um, we're starting to see even China is is doing some exporting of refined ethanol. We're starting to see that a little bit, which is a game changer when it comes to ethanol. If that actually continues to to be a trend line, so when you look at ethanol, what are your thoughts there? Well, think of it this way: Why are the Chinese buying corn? Because they don't have any. What do they use? What are they primarily using in their own country to make ethanol? Corn. Why are they so so? They need corn for ethanol. They need corn. They're rebuilding their hog herd. They need corn for, for feed. Um, they're going to need to buy U.S. ethanol. We have excess capacity, uh, Casey. They do not. So, so they know, you know, we're really good at it. We've been doing it for a long time, and we're, we're able, willing, and ready to make them, you know, a lot of gallons of ethanol if they want it. And so I think they're going to buy a lot. Not only are they going to buy corn, which they need, but they're also, it's going to be a two-pronged approach. They're going to buy ethanol. So not only do we get demand for better exports, but we get better demand from the ethanol guys getting a better price than demanding more corn from domestic farmers 
to bid up the bases, cash bases, and bring more corn in, which is always a win-win. Price goes up, basis goes up. So we're pretty optimistic that that two-prong approach is going to be with us, uh, you know, well into the end of the year. And remember, these uh, historic floods that they've been dealing with down there uh, in, in China, uh, really you have to go back to 1931, the last time we saw that any kind of flooding of this magnitude, um, you know, decimating the rice crop, decimating the canola crop, half the soybean crops underwater. I mean, they have some serious problems with their food supply. And, and so I think that is also getting them even more uh, interested in buying cheap grain and cheap food from us while they still can. Um, so all that put, all that being said, you know, we're pretty bullish on corn and ethanol to the end of the year and think uh, that prices are going to work their way higher um, as I've already started to, you know, I mean, ethanol is well off the lows already. So, yeah. All right. Last thing, let's talk about the protein markets real quick. Um, the uh, pork market has had a uh, pretty good run here in the last couple of weeks. They've done, there's some volatility in there, but for the most part, they've been finishing higher <clears throat> more days than they haven't. And um, what, what, are your, what are your thoughts there? I mean, are we looking at, I mean, obviously China is still buying a lot of pork, but is it, have we gotten rid of the of the glut a little bit now and we're looking more of a the supply and demand curve starting to kind of pan out with each other? We believe the month of August is the is the is the inflection point for hogs, Casey. We think that's the point where this overhang, this you know, these excess of animals that have not been able to be processed, uh, starts to uh, reverse. And we actually start getting more demand for the animals than the animals that are available. That's a combination of two things. It's a combination of all the euthanizations that took place uh, during the panic, uh, pandemic panic. And secondly, because of the extremely poor prices, the fallowings in the summer and the fall are going to drop at the largest rate in 25 years. So when you put those two things together, the number of animals available to bring through packing houses is not going to be sufficient to meet the demand that continues to, by the way, to be very, very strong. So we're pretty excited about the hog market uh, heading into the fourth quarter. We think we're finally going to get uh, a surge there, like cattle's already gotten, um, as that as that supply demand kind of balances out. And so we do think uh, if you're in the business of buying uh, hogs, you know, cash hogs, and you're in the business of buying pork, you know, we think that uh, one should be looking to protect upside price risks at this point. We don't think uh, one should be uh, you know, living hand to mouth. We think this could be a pretty exciting. Uh, repricing higher of the whole hog complex as a result. So pork cut out, for example, yesterday surged. You know, we're, you're starting to see all these signs are coming to place that we're tightening up this market finally. Cool. So. All right, let's bounce over take a look at the, at the cattle market. Um, their stocks, have, they, they kind of reported they're starting to rise in June, and we're starting to see some more, some more stocks out there. So um, the number of... of Animals getting through slaughter are uh, it's pretty much back to normal. Um, I think it might be off just a little bit from where it was uh, this time last year, but it's nothing like it was, you know, five months ago. So we made some pretty good strides there. Yet the the market has not really responded to to what we're seeing there. So I guess talk about what you see happening in the cattle market and and kind of some of the stuff you see ahead there. Well, remember the difference between hogs and cattle is the hogs they didn't back up the animals; they killed them off. Right. Um, and because the cycle in hogs is so short, you say, okay, I don't like the price. I'm just, you know, we're going to just, you know, we're not reproducing. You know, cattle's a little different. You just don't do that. The animals got backed up. They put them out. They gained, they increased the weights. 
but the animals didn't go anywhere. They're still there and they're backed up. So even though the throughput isn't, so think of it this way, Casey, you have a tub of water, right? And you have a drain that was draining at a certain rate. And then you cut that rate in half and then you open it up again. You, you, you just can't make up what you lost. It, you, it takes time. And so because of the increased weights and because of the backing of the animals, you know, there's an overhang of supply there that I don't, it's going to be difficult for demand to overcome that for a while. It's not, I'm not, it's not bearish, meaning like I don't think the price are going to fall a lot. I just think we're at a, I, I think we're just in a two-sided trade here for a while because the market's probably at the right place and supply demand is probably, I, we think, in, in balance right now. And I think it's going to stay that way for a while. We're not really thinking, you know, a big surge is ahead of us right now for cattle. We think the hog market's more in a better place to see that. Um, so, so we would be pretty much, you know, kind of agnostic right now, you know, neutral on the, on the, on the cattle market at this point, just looking for opportunities to sell or buy based upon, you know, kind of a trading range that we expect to develop here. If you're on a cash seller or a cash buyer. So, okay. Milk is the other thing that, that we've needed. I've, I've ignored here for a little while, but it's had the, the, the best rebound since we've looked at um, what we've seen happen so far since the COVID-19 shutdown um, there for a minute, milk was, atrocious and and then slowly after they open stuff back up we saw pre-covid numbers start coming back into trade so talk about milk what you see happening there and what kind of what the stability looks like for class three milk well i mean look uh class three prices which is essentially cheese but primarily drives class three had a big rebound because we are re reopened and demand came back and there was always strong demand at the at the supermarket level, but on top of it, the government decided to buy to, to do a, a bailout program where they bought a bunch of cheese, five percent of the market actually. Um, over the you know, between you know every month they were going to be buying five percent of of the cheese market, um, and they've been doing that. So not only did you have the increase in demand from reopening, that you had this demand from the from the government. So it's sort of an an, an artificial price level so they they ran the they've run the class three market up as high as 23 and change and we were down at 12 and 13 mm -hmm. back there and in, in, um, in april so you just think of how much of a move that is now class four prices which is a which, which is more of the milk powder uh butter kind of a thing they have not been buying those and they're sitting around more like the 15 uh, area 16 area which is really where class three probably should never you know maybe class three could have gotten 17 on its own so what we're worried about casey is that as we approach the elections the government's gonna walk away and say we're done we've done we we did what we needed to do we helped you guys out you're on your own and if we take that artificial buying out of the market you know the class three price could really have some difficult times heading into you know the fourth quarter and certainly after the election so we're really feeling that producers ought to be taking advantage of the price, you know, that they're seeing right now, at least on class three, not class four, but on class three, it's an awfully, awful good price. And it's an artificial price. You know, we have to remember it's, it's, the government got its hands involved and created an artificial market. So don't look, don't look a gift horse in the mouth for too long or else you'll go. So we think most of the upside, if not all the upside has already been seen and we would not want our, a dairy producer to, um, for a caution to win and not take advantage of those prices. We think they need to be, you know, taking advantage of that before it goes away. And, um, uh, 
Now, the class four market, we're actually more optimistic. So, so what's been happening is we had this record spread between class three and class four because of government intervention. But when the government walks away and the Chinese typically buy their year-end powder, we think that we're going to actually flip this ratio opposite. Where class four is going to rise, class three is going to fall, we're going to get a premium of class four to class three. So, so it's kind of a bifurcated market. It's not bearish everything. It's bearish class three, bullish class four. So, so we're really saying, you know, wait for the upside on class four, do some pricing on class three. So, Right on. Well, Sean, good stuff as usual. Folks want to reach out to you and ask you questions about what you have going on or just pick your brain about some of your reports that you're putting out. What's the best way to get your report and, and also see uh, what you have to offer? Our website is Hackett, H-A-C-K-E-T-T, advisors.com. They can look at sample reports, interviews, podcasts, all kinds of things that we have on the white papers we've written to see if what we do might be of value to your listeners. Right on. Well, I'm Casey Seymour with Moving Iron Podcast. Make sure you check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. That's where you can find the latest podcasts when they come out, as well as any blogs I have to post. Also, uh, check out the Global Lag Network and the great podcasters there. And um, go to movingironllc.com for the latest news on everything that has to do with Moving Iron. Um, so I guess with that, I'm Casey Seymour with Sean Hackett. Let's go move some iron, folks. Out. Moving iron in the 21st century